Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. Years ago, there's a movie that came out. It's very popular called Twister. The movie was uh, the story about a, a group of individuals who chased tornadoes. They would chase the tornadoes, and they'd find the tornado. They would be there to measure how it went and the effects of the tornado so they could provide an early warning system to others. And oftentimes, as they chased the tornado from one place to another, they put themselves in harm's way. And right in the face of the tornado, you know, the, the, the pursuit of the wind was the driving force in all they did. No matter where it was, they chased after the wind. Hosea states in chapter 12, verse 1, that Ephraim feeds on the wind. He pursues the east wind all day long. Israel had made it their desire to pursue after things that were fleeting. They were chasing after things that could not satisfy them, that could not bring happiness into their lives. Elsewhere, we see that Israel is accused of planting the wind. Can you imagine that? going out to plant something, and all you plant is a bunch of wind. What are you going to, what's going to be the results? Nothing whatsoever. Now we see that they're not only eating the wind, but they're chasing after the wind. And the point that God is trying to make through the prophet Hosea is that Israel is pursuing things that cannot satisfy them. And ultimately, in pursuing these things, it will lead to their destruction. Today, we continue in our series through Hosea by looking at Hosea 11, verse 12, and chapter 12, verse 6. Yes, I think verse 11 ties in the chapter 12 rather than tying in the chapter 11. Remember, whenever these were first written, there was no chapter breaks, no, no, uh, no numbers, anything. It was all one long paragraph or one long statement. So we're going to break it down in chapter 11, 12 to 12, 6. We're going to look at these words under the heading, Feeding on the wind. Notice what God's Word said. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, the house of Israel with deceit, and Judah is unruly against God, even against the faithful Holy One. Ephraim feeds on the wind. He pursues the east wind all day and multiplies lies and violence. He makes a treaty with Assyria and sends olive oil to Egypt. The Lord has a charge to bring against Judah. He will punish Jacob according to his ways. And repay him according to his deeds. In the womb he grasped his brother's heel. As a man he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord, O God Almighty, the Lord is his name of renown. But you must return to your God. Maintain love and justice and wait for your God always. Hosea goes to great lengths to, to stress the trouble in Israel. In eleven twelve, he says that Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, the house of Israel with deceit. And then in verse, uh, verse 1, he says he, he multiplies lies and violence. And then he gives an analogy from history. God goes back in time and he goes back to a point in history to, to illustrate what he's talking about. And as he goes back in time, it, it has implications for us as well as we look at what he's trying to do to the people of Hosea. 
We're actually going to look at only one point this week, but we're going to pick this up next week and continue on in the rest of chapter 12. Yeah, I know, how can you have a 14-part sermon and have two parts in the middle of it? It's because I didn't want to preach a six, six or seven-page sermon. I wanted to condense it into two, all right? So you have to come back next week for the continuation of this sermon, and then you have to come back the week after that for the continuation of the whole series. Okay, so you with me now, all right? First, we feed on the wind when we reject our spiritual roots. In chapter, chapter 12, verses 2 through 6, we see that Hosea brings to mind Jacob. He brings into mind the story of Jacob. Now, the story of Jacob happens in Genesis 25 through 36. Uh, that's where we would find the story of Jacob. And w- what God is trying to do through the prophet Hosea is he wants them to see what happened, what's happening in Israel was the same thing that happened to Jacob. In verses 2 through 6 is a summary of the life of Jacob, and it serves to drive home the point that God is trying to make to the people of Israel. So let me summarize it. Uh, to, let me summarize the whole story of Jacob to help us better understand what is going on uh, in the nation of Israel and what God is trying to do. What we look at, the, it starts out with the birth of Jacob. Jacob was born, he was a manipulator. He was a deceiver. Hang on to that. He's a manipulator and he's a deceiver. We see in verse 3, it says, In the womb he grasped his brother's heel. We know the story of Jacob. Jacob had a twin brother by the name of Esau. Esau was the eldest. He was born first. Jacob was the youngest. He was born second. But as Esau came out of the womb, Jacob was grabbing the heel of his brother Esau. Even then, he was trying to pull Esau back into the womb so that he could gain the blessing, so he could be the the firstborn of the bunch. God said, in the very beginning, Jacob was a manipulator. Jacob was a deceiver. He was a heel snatcher. He was trying to deprive somebody else what rightfully belonged to them. Much later in his life, in his adult life, we know that he stole Esau's birthright for a pot of beans. Esau gave up his birthright for a pot of beans. And later on, we know that Jacob deceived his father and allow, allowing his father to give the blessing to Jacob instead of giving the blessing to Esau, which was rightfully his. That deception with Esau, that deception with his brothers caused a conflict in the family. Can you imagine the conflict that went on in the family? And he feared that Esau was going to kill him, so he fled from Esau. He fled from his father. He fled from his mother, and he goes and makes his life with his uncle Laban in, this, in, in another country. And so as we, as we pick up the story, we see that Laban had two daughters. He had Leah, and he had the beautiful daughter Rachel. Jacob fell in love with Rachel. And he said, I want to marry Rachel. So Laban says, okay, I'll let you marry Rachel, but you have to work for me seven years before you work for Rachel, before you uh, allow you to wed Rachel. And I love what it says. The scripture says, it says, but seven years seemed like a week to him. He was so in love with her that he decided that he could do it. And so on that, but Laban was a trickster. He was a deceiver. He's going to trick him a little bit. And so at the, at, after the feast, after the wedding ceremony, uh, he sends Leah into the tent instead of Rachel. Now, Jacob must have had a lot to drink that night. 
Because he did not recognize it was Leah that he consummated the relationship with until the next morning. And the text literally says that when he woke up in the morning, it was not Rachel. He goes, uh-oh, uh-oh. And he was angry with Laban. Laban said, well, wait, 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 wait. Jacob, Jacob says, you told me you'd give me Rachel. Said, oh, I can't give you Rachel because Leah's the oldest. She has to be married first. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you, I'll, give you, I'll give you Rachel if you work another seven years for me. He said, but I'll let you have her after a week. So for after a week that he, he received Rachel, he said, okay, but now you're going to have to work seven more years to keep her. I don't know about this guy Laban. Uh, I don't know about him. He said, you know, so you got to have it. So after, after so 14 years has passed, and then somehow or other, Laban persuades uh, Jacob to stay another six years with Laban. So he's, at, he's in that land for 20 years in the land, and God blesses him. God blesses Jacob. He gives him multiple uh, flocks and servants and all this. But uh, Laban tricks him again, and he has to grow his flock back because of Laban's deception. But ultimately, he decides he wants to leave Laban. Why? Because he, he's, he's remorseful for what he did for Esau. He says, man, I treated my brother Esau bad. I've got to get back. So he's remorseful. Laban's not too happy about that because he just lost his best servant, his best worker. He's losing all of his children and his grandchildren. So he pursues him with an army. <clears throat> in the process of pursuing him uh, in, in the army, God comes to Laban in a dream. And he says, you be careful how you treat Jacob. You be careful how you treat Jacob. So Jacob could take no credit for what happened in this situation. So Jacob and Laban make a treaty with one another, and they are at peace from then on. But Jacob can't take any credit. It wasn't because of Jacob that this happened. It's because of God that this happened. Over and over and over in the Genesis passage, we see that God was with Jacob. Just as he had promised 20 years earlier that he would be with Jacob. But Jacob had been oblivious to it. He did not, oh, he was not aware of God's hand upon him. He was not aware that God was blessing him. <clears throat> so he goes back to Canaan. Fear and panic have gripped him because he's about to see his brother Esau. So he sends flocks and herds and people up in front of him to kind of placate him and make him happy. <clears throat> but he's fearful. He, 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 and so the fleshly patterns of manipulation and deception begin to kick in to Jacob once again. He goes, I'll find a way to trick my brother. I'll find a way to deceive my brother. Genesis 32 verse 20 says this, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. He says, so I'm going I'm to placate him. I'm going to pacify him with all these gifts that I'm giving. You see, acceptance was important to Jacob. He wanted to be accepted by people. He wanted to be accepted by someone. He was never accepted by his father, Isaac. Why? He favored Esau. And he certainly was not going to find, uh, find, fa uh, find favor with his brother Esau after everything he did. But Jacob longed for acceptance. He longed to be valued as an individual. And the thing that Jacob did not understand is that only God could give that precious gift of acceptance. Only God was the one who could really, really honor Jacob and be accepted by God. You see, when we receive God's gift of acceptance, we are finally free from manipulation. 
We're finally free from deception that we try to use to make people accept us, to make people value us, to make people like us. Genesis 32 tells the story once again. He's about to prepare to meet his brother Esau, but then something monumental happens to Jacob. He meets God, an angel of God, however you want to interpret it. He falls into a wrestling match with God. The text is clear that God orchestrated the whole event. And so at the river Jabbok, he begins to wrestle with God. Matter of fact, Jacob calls the place Peniel. He says the face of God because he says this in the text, I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. And so he gets in a wrestling match with God, the angel of God. And in the process of, match, uh, process of the wrestling match, God dislocates the hip of Jacob, causing Jacob to walk with a limp the rest of his life as a reminder of his wrestling with God, reminding of his dependence in that situation. And he's come to find out the deepest need in Jacob's life was to know God's blessing. And it's the deepest need in our lives also. He wanted God to bless him. He said, I will not let you go till you bless me. I'm not going to relinquish control till you bless me. The lack of a sense of God's blessing was the real cause of his manipulative and deceptive life. In that wrestling match, hear me on this. In that wrestling match, God was asking Jacob to relinquish control. He's asking God, he said, I want you to fess up. I want you to relinquish control. Stop trying to wrestle. Stop trying to manipulate. Stop trying to deceive. And trust me in everything that we are. In everything that you are. It's a time of soul searching. It's a time of confession. So as Jacob is holding on to God or holding on to the angel of God, he says, he says bless me. I will not let you go to you. Bless me. And the angel asks the question, what's your name? What's your name? Did he not know who he was? Of course he did. He goes, what's your name? He says, Jacob, hone up to who you are. He says, my name is Jacob. My name is Jacob. What does Jacob mean? It means deceiver, trickster, manipulator, liar. And God says, no longer will you be called Jacob. You will now be called Israel, exalted one of the Lord. Exalted one of the Lord of God. What's he doing? It's a cute little story, right? Here's what he's saying. God in that wrestling match, he's telling Jacob, confess who you are, Jacob. Confess who you are. You are a trickster. You are a manipulator. You are a liar. You are a deceiver. And all you've ever gotten in life is because, because of what you've done. I'm wanting you to hone up with that because when you do that, then I can make a change in your life. You would no longer be known as a trickster. You would no longer be known as a manipulator. You would now be known as exalted one of God. God's strength had been shown in Jacob's weakness. And when the morning came, after that night of wrestling, Jacob had a new life, or Israel had a new life. He was a new man. No longer was he Jacob. Now he was Israel. And it changed the way he related to his brother. That's where you begin to see the example. 
Genesis chapter 33, verse 3 says this. When he came upon Esau, he bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Don't pass that off as insignificance. It's not just trying to walk you through the story. Everything Jacob does is important. The first thing he does is he bows down in submission to his brother. When it's supposed to be in the other way, why? Because because Israel was the child of blessing. He stole the birthright. He stole the blessing. Esau was supposed to bow down to Israel. But instead, seven times he bows down in the face of Esau, submitting himself to his lordship, submitting himself to that. But not only is he submitting to Esau, he's also expressing vulnerability to Esau. When, when you're bowed down on the ground, your head's down, you're very open for a sword. Just like that. Esau, do with me whatever you want. I'm submitting to you. Why is that? Because he's found a new relationship. He knows he's accepted by God. He knows that he's valued by God. He does not need human acceptance, human appreciation to discover his worth. His worth was in his relationship with God. And so there's a new compassion that falls upon Jacob. There's a new gentleness. There's a new tenderness that comes into his life. So what happens? Jacob is there and he's bowed himself down. Esau runs to his brother, throws his arms around him and kisses him. Kisses him. He welcomes him back. And then Jacob says this, for to see your face, it's like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably, please accept the presents that were brought to you, for God has been gracious to me for the first time. For the first time, he recognizes everything that's happened to him was because of God. God had been gracious to him. God had watched over him. But for the first time, he realized that in his own life. Verse 4 changes the story. He says he found him at Bethel and talked with him there. Why does he do that? Genesis 28. takes us back to Genesis 28. Hosea does. So we walk all the way through the life of Jacob, but then he goes right back to verse tw chapter 28 when he meets him at Bethel. This is the first encounter that he had with God at that time. Listen to the words in Genesis chapter 28, verses 20 through 21. Then, you know, this is after he's had a vision of God, okay? Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. Do you, do you see what Jacob's doing here? He's bargaining with God. It's old Jacob. It's not Israel. It's old Jacob. He's manipulating. He says, if God will do this, then I will be his person. How many of you do that with God? God, if you'll just do this in my life, if you'll just do, oh, then I'll follow you anywhere, God. God, if you'll just bless me this way, then you'll be my God. This is what Jacob was doing. He didn't know. He had an encounter with God. He had a genuine experience with God at Bethel, but he still did not understand it. He still could not get past the manipulator, the deceiver that he was. He was Jacob, but he wasn't Israel. Jacob's story is a story that God is wanting the people of Hosea to remember. 
Remember your spiritual roots. Remember where you come from. Remember who you are as a people of God. Remember where they came from. Here's what they're doing. They're acting like Jacob when they're supposed to be Israel. That's what they're doing. He said, you're acting like you don't know me. You're acting like you have no relationship with me. You're acting like I haven't blessed you. You're supposed to be Israel, not behaving like Jacob. That's what he's saying to them. They were guilty of manipulation. They were guilty of deception. They were guilty of forming alliances with other nations. He said, you go to Assyria, you go to Egypt, you go all these places to find alliances, but you don't depend upon me. You don't trust in me. You don't understand that I'm the one that's blessed you. I'm the one that's bestowed all this on you. They were looking in all the wrong places for God's blessings. They tried to deceive God and, and, and make Him think they were righteous and they were holy because they could, uh, they could do certain things. They could go through the religious ritual and they thought they could deceive God. And God was like, oh, I, I look at, oh, yeah, that's good. It's almost like we as Baptists, oh, I'm going to meddle here a little bit. Is that okay, Brother Kip, I've meddled a little bit? Right. It's almost like we said, well, maybe if I just drop a little money in the offering plate, I'll have, God will think I'm okay. Wrong answer, wrong answer. No, it doesn't work that way. You cannot deceive God by the pittance that you give to God. You can't do it. God knows your heart. So don't sit there and try to deceive Him. Don't try to manipulate Him thinking that, that because you drop a five bucks on the offering plate or you drop 3% of your, of your money in the offering plate. Listen, if you're not giving 10% to God, you're a deceiver, you're a liar, and you're a manipulator. You are Jacob and you're not Israel. This ain't got nothing to do with tithing. I'm just picking on something that I know affects everybody's life. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Let me ask you, is your treasure in heaven or is your treasure here on earth? They tried to deceive God and make Him think they were righteous and they, to make Him think that they were holy. And what Hosea says, you're feeding on the wind. You're chasing after something that will not satisfy you, that will not quench your hunger, will not quench your thirst. You are feeding on the wind. He said, go back. Go back in time and recall how you came to be. Go back and recall your life. He says, claim your name. Claim your identity. You are Israel. You are not Jacob. And in verse 6, what does he say? He said, but you must return to your God. Maintain love and justice and wait for your God always. Oh, isn't that a great word for us? Isn't that a great word for us? We, we live in, in, in turbulent times. We live in time. It's difficult, man. It's difficult to know who to trust and who to believe and, and, and what to do. What does he say? Man, return to me. God says, return to me. Maintain your love. Maintain justice. And wait for your God always. Wait. We are to do our part. Maintain love. Maintain justice. And wait for God. Wait for God to do His stuff. What's the implications? What's the implications for you and me this morning? We feed on the wind when we reject our spiritual roots. Many of you are wrestling with God. You're wrestling with God in your own life. 
You're not conforming to God's design for you. God has a plan. God has a purpose for your life, but you're wrestling with Him. God has a will for your life. As Henry Blackaby always says, there's only one will. There's God's will. How are you conforming your life to the will of God? That's the question you must ask. You're turning against God. We're doing what we think is best. What we like. What we enjoy. Instead of asking, is this this best for you, God? God, is this what you like? Is this what you enjoy? Am I doing what you would have me to do, God? Or am I just doing what I want to do for you? You see, there's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference. One is pleasing you, the other is pleasing God. We have to ask those questions. We chase after things that will never satisfy us. We chase after things that will never please us, that will never bring that that blessing that we want in our life from having a genuine relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. You're a Christian. You're a believer. Then quit acting like a non-believer. Quit acting like a Christian. Go back to your spiritual roots. Go back to when you had that walk of faith with Christ. And remember, at the time you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord to save your life, the minute you did that, all your sins, past, present, and future, were wiped away. There is no record of them in the Lamb's book of life. It also says that you became a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has become. Quit living like an unbeliever and start living like a believer. Just as Israel was guilty of living like Jacob when they should have been living like Israel. Just like the people in Twister. Chasing after things that really couldn't satisfy. As a matter of fact, for many of them it cost them death. It costs them everything. Instead of engaging in meaningless activities, instead of engaging in things that satisfy your selfish desires, once you pursue Christ, pursue Him. If you don't do that, you'll be miserable and you'll be failing to live the kind of life that God would have you to live. When you find yourself chasing after things that can't satisfy you, when you find yourself chasing after things that cannot bring blessing and happiness to your life, go back to God. Go back to God. Go back to the one who loved you first. Go back to the one who gave his life so that you might have life. It says that God wants to give you every spiritual blessing there is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I love that verse says God can do immeasurably more than we can think or we can imagine. But what do we got to do? We got to be right with Him. Be right with Him. So when you're struggling and you just can't find your way, go back. Go back to that first time. Go back to those spiritual roots that you had in Christ and realize that you are greatly loved. You are greatly cared for. That God values you and you are acceptable to God as His child. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. A time for you to respond to the words you've heard today. 
I don't know how God would have you to respond. Only you can make that decision. But even if you choose not to respond, you've made a decision. You see, we think a decision is only made by those ones that come forward. A decision is made by those that decide not to do anything. It's still a decision. Maybe God's call to you is for you to remember who you are as a child of God. And do not let Satan deter you from who you're supposed to be. Perhaps you need a, need a relationship with Jesus Christ. We can tell you how to do that. Perhaps you need to know how to be a part of this fellowship of believers. We'll tell you how to do that. Maybe you just need to recommit your life to Christ. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that in, up here. You can do it right where you're at. But there's something about being come forward and having people pray for you that makes you more accountable to them and who you can be in Christ Jesus. Kip's going to come and lead us. Instrumentals are going to come and play. Give you an opportunity to respond. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And as I lead us in prayer, I ask you to, to stand. Join with me as I lead us in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for this opportunity you've given to us to gather here and worship. Father, to put our focus upon you. And God, I know that every one of us in this room, Father, know there are times in our life when we do not reflect your image. There are times in our life, Father, when we look more like a sinner than we do a believer. I pray, Father, that you forgive us. I pray, Father, that you touch our hearts and cause us to remember, Father, how greatly we are blessed in Christ Jesus. That, Father, you love us and you care for us. And, Father, nothing can change that. So help us, Father, to, to continue following the path that you have laid out for us so we can give you glory and we can give you honor. Forgive us, Father, for the times we fail you, for the times, Father, we do not live up to your name. Oh, Father, for the times that we bring shame to the name we say we proclaim. Forgive us. Touch hearts here this morning, Father, whatever they may be experiencing in their life. We pray, Father, that you administer to them. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.